0: It was four years of waiting, a build up dominated by talk of a furious, flying fit of Scotland with ambitions of smashing an out of form, aging Ireland and winning the tournament. It ended with a bonus point 27 3 win for the Boys in Green. The World Cup is here, Ireland are back, and so are we. Welcome to the World in Union, the Balls of e Rugby Podcast. Morris Brosnan here. I'm delighted to be joined by PJ Brown this week. PJ how's form? I'm uh, very well, thank you very much. So, we had a really great, brilliant start to the tournament. Um, three kind of classic, really good encounters in from an Irish perspective, Ireland, Scotland, obviously South Africa and New Zealand and then what from mine was my personal highlight, Jamie Heaslip versus Eddie (laughs) O'Sullivan which seemed to be the most bitter of those three uh, rivalries there. Which one did you enjoy most?
1: Yeah, I, I think like we'd really built up Scotland in our minds so it was strange that the most compelling Kind of encounter or clash <laughs> on the, on Sunday morning was Jamie versus Eddie, which which had been had started kind of smouldering early
0: earlier on on what Friday as well I suppose yeah and then ignited yeah on, on Sunday yeah, yeah. for the for the main event. We're going to talk a small bit about that Ireland Scotland game. We're mainly going to look ahead to Ireland versus Japan. To do that, we're actually going to talk to Conan O'Donnell, the former Connacht prop, uh, an old teammate of mine actually, who has since had a really interesting career was released by Connacht and got a super rugby contract with the Sunwolves, went over to Japan, played there as a medical joker for a couple of weeks, then went out to counties in the Minor 10 Cup, which he's doing right now, and also training away with the Sunwolves in Japan. So from Sligo to Galway to Japan, Tokyo, to he's now playing some Minor 10 rugby in, in New Zealand as well, back at Japan with the Sunwolves after that, doesn't know where he's going next, but probably the most well suited man to preview this game in that he's played in both systems mm. obviously with the Sunwolves has been exposed to some of Tony Brown's uh, coaching methods there and also like uh, could count on a lot of these Japanese players as, as teammates um, so just to clarify that in the Sunwolves Japan actually I imagine looking at a system like Ireland's actually when you see the benefit of having every, all players on one provincial system brought a load of their test players back to the Sunwolves and actually brought them into what was effectively like a Sunwolves A team so within that club but a separate team and just have been like building for this World Cup for the last two years under the who of like they've got brilliant coaches there in Jamie Joseph and, and Tony Brown and have been able to foster that but he's been uh, an interested onlooker to all of this he's been exposed to both that and we'll catch up with him later to to preview that but firstly Ireland Scotland. PJ, a really simple question to get started: How much of this was about Ireland being good, and how much of this was about Scotland being terrible? I think,
1: uh,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Scotland were awful. Scotland were really were they were they were so bad. It was like I don't know if you if you read much of uh, or saw much of what Gregor Townsend said afterwards, but he had he like like Ireland, they've been building up for this game for so long. He had no explanation whatsoever for what for why Scotland were so bad. They were like, they, they didn't
0: look up for it at all early on, whereas Ireland did like. Uh, and yeah, like, and that baffles me, to be honest. I don't understand how, like these, Scotland had somebody like Vern Cotter, now someone like Granger Townsend, really meticulous coaches mm. who clearly have been building for a World Cup for, years and i actually like scotland's 2019 form has been abs- other than uh, 40 minutes against england has been abysmal like i think throughout the year actually but like i watched them play france in a warm-up game i, I actually talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and s- so many of these warning signs were there and the same thought that struck me then actually struck me after this game now like scotland do everything that joe schmidt teams don't you know what i mean like there's mistakes that like th- I'm not saying that this Irish team are perfect, they're far from it, but there's mistakes that for anybody who's watched Irish rugby for the last 10 years would have recognized from a bygone era that they just don't do anymore. Like they just, they do not happen. You don't see Irish players randomly kick a ball out of sync down a full throat, stroke, like just totally aimlessly, uh, belt the ball straight down a fullback like a running fullback like Jordan Armour's throat. you just don't see that happen you don't see them take off by themselves get isolated single off one off runners like a Stur- amount of time Stuart Hogg seemed to be out of sync with the rest of his pack no back row coming into a system getting isolated the one when Henderson turned him over was a classic example I, like I don't know what they, what was the thinking there really really fundamental stuff like you've got a right footed box kicker with the best box kicker in the world up there anyway with with Young's in Conor Murray and you keep kicking the ball to the right side of the mm. pitch like I don't understand how you don't that's such a fundamental thing try and kick him put him on the short side the same way England did it to Ireland in the very first Six Nations game kept pinning him on the wrong side on the left side where he obviously would much rather be on the other side of the field and Scotland just, like played into his hands continually And I think I think it's the major for all that we'll talk about Ireland in a second but for all of that the one huge caveat over this was that Scotland were so so poor
1: they believe, like from reading the Scottish media, they, there seems to be a bel- kind of a, a belief that Scotland believed their own hype, that they were they were talking themselves up before before the tournament. Stuart Hogg said they could win, they could win it. Yeah, I mean, and and they were all, all the talk was about defense wins tournaments, and like we we've been we have this down, like we're we're up, we can win the tournament. It it's just it they were they were so bad. They were, they're, they're, like I, I'm not sure how much we can read into this Ireland performance because Ireland got the basics. They, they were good. The, the basics were all very good, but that's all they had to do. They didn't, ha- didn't have to do anything else other than the
0: basics very well. Yeah, my main takeaway from an Irish perspective is that I think some, like Ireland are a power-based team and have been, like in 2018 when 2018 when they were at their best, that was what they did really, really effectively. It's they absolutely dominated set pieces. they their type five kind of, uh, impose themselves in games you got big massive carriers the, Like the criticism has been made of one-off carriers but when you've got carriers as powerful as Ty Furlong or James Ryan I think it makes perfect sense to use them so I, I, and I think that at the weekend ultimately once they win that exchange those really close-in exchanges, these are the fine margins of like professional sport, especially when you play a way that Ireland do and when Joe Smith has time to prepare for a team when he's got a their set piece, their line their uh, mo- uh, and their scrum are 100% at the weekend when he gets those back to basics, and when he gets his big carriers dominating those kind of collisions, then really everything else kind of falls in sync. It doesn't like I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but it's not as hugely important. If you pull somebody like Bundiaki out of your centre partnership, or pull mm-hmm. Rob Kearney out of forward back, because ultimately the what sets the platform for everything else that this team do is their that that kind of their front eight, they're, especially their front five. I think are there's just so much like it's 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 interesting. Keen Keen Healy was absolutely crocked when he came off he was blown really heavy really fatigued and it's because he got through a trojan amount of work like it's incredible not only just in terms of like his raw stats are impressive but Keen Healy lifted in 5 of the 7 lineouts that happened while he was on the field like he and I'm and you know that's not just you know I'm not just talking about a lift here you know you are talking about a front lift then they set the platform for them all their pillars there and that I think was particularly something that was really impressive about their lineups it was the variance they had in that you had somebody like two different players did the all three rows basically where you have somebody like who can j- uh, jump lift from the back lift from the front James Ryan and Cesar Sander impressively uh, did all three of those I think they'd in total that four of their starters jumped you we talked we talked to Scott Farley last week who was quite surprised that England were going to persevere with just two jumpers but if Ireland can get four I think that's four good mm-hmm. jumpers I mean you're talking about Henderson Ryan uh, Peter Mann he caught the first two before he went off injured and then CJ Sander obviously okay. who who jumped as well. That stuff is, is all really encouraging. Now you can read you can read a certain extent into all of that stuff because I don't think that is necessarily as much opposition focus. like I think Ireland would do that against a lot of other teams and do it quite successfully. It's the other stuff, it's the fact that they found it so easy to dominate and to like f- I mean the best example of all for me was right Greg Lane like Ireland's run a really nice play make a 40-yard break with uh, Conor Murray's chip ahead. Englands are scrambling back. You've just conceded 40 yards and Greg Liddell has got an exit in his own 22. Ball is in his own 22. And he decides to keep the ball in play. And what's more, he decides to kick a box kick that... If, when you watch Conor Murray's box kick, Conor Murray's either kicking it out of his half or hes it's a really, really contestable kick. Hmm. And Greg Liddell decides to do neither, basically. So he gives his tracers no chance to get the ball but doesn't kick it out of play and doesn't kick it that deep. It's, the, where it's in that no man's zone where it, it doesn't benefit them in any way. Two phases later, Ian Henderson makes a 40-yard break. Mm-hmm. You get um, James Ryan is latches on to the first carry with uh, CJ Sander, really big carry there as well. Ian Henderson comes back around again, and then Ryan obviously gets to try at the very end of it. But that was like, Scotland orchestrated their own downfall in so much there because they're scrambling to recover in a situation like that. It just It's not the it's so simple that we should like analyse the game you shouldn't have to point it out but when you've conceded 40 yards you're scrambling and you're disorganised just put the ball out of play yeah. like trust your you're going after Ireland in the lineup anyway trust your lineup to compete and try and win the ball back there but don't kick it and even if you are going to box kick the ball give your chasers some chance to get the ball back but don't do neither which is what what they did and funnily enough from the kickoff, Scotland kicked the ball off Conor uh, Connemary exits it with a box kick, a boom and box kick out into the other half. What does Maitland do? He kicks the ball out over and it rolls out over Ireland's try and they get a twenty two easy drop out twenty two and so for all of that, Ireland were never under pressure in executing any of that stuff.
1: Two two examples there of how easy Scotland made it for Ireland. Right? Yeah like, uh, You know, when you're when you're dealing with that that kind of level like like kind of lack of execute lack of lack of execution and bad decision making, like it it just makes it so easy for Ireland and like how much how much do you think we can read into the authoring performance for like we're already building up the South Africa game? How how much can we read into the authorian performance looking ahead to that game?
0: I like I think from from my own perspective, it's good to see key in personnel. When I say that I mean Murray, um not necessarily Sexton, and we'll talk about in a second, but Murray, CJ Stander come back into form in this kind of way. Now as you like, I think the fact that the seppies fired is really encouraging. I don't necessarily know how unwrapped in that is in the opposition. The fact that they showed some signs of kind of these like really kind of well, a lot of times the Joe Schmidt strike plays like you get the classic examples, which would be like the the Scotchdale chip over the top, to which they scored off against New Zealand. Mm. But a lot of times the plays that this team use are actually just simple things done very, very well, and then they look clever. So you see, for example, um, Simon Eastwood, would, I think, took a lot of stock out of, when you saw the, the Roy Best stripe. What happened there was you could see Ireland consider their field position. So Keane Healy's looking back over shoulder, looking at where they are. They kicked, it's on the right side. It's like, it's it's on the, you're attacking on the left side, which is encouraging because they can wrap around really quickly that way. Um, Scotland have their numbers totally off, end up actually wrapping around, trying to drive Ireland out of play, but Ireland want to drive up the short side anyway. So they end up basically propelling they wrap around so quickly that they end up propelling Ireland towards the Scottish island. Like Scotland are on the wrong side, doing nothing would have conceded a penalty right try anyway if Best didn't get the ball down. But that that was a a simple enough play. But it was us. We can you're talking about 12 seconds is 15 different things happening, like a load of different cogs firing the machine, and it comes off and it looks really really effective. Mm. So from that perspective, I think that stuff is all encouraging. But I mean, absolutely, it's a like you can't. I wouldn't put a huge amount of stock in it either because as as we mentioned, Scotland were were pretty poor. We'll look ahead. The tournament as a whole was a great opening weekend, which yeah. is a good and a bad thing. A great they, they, thing. They front loaded that Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> um, they, like so. The New Zealand South Africa, I think, was the probably the next. Well, well, was the biggest game of the weekend, yeah. obviously. Um, both from an Irish perspective, in terms of from qualifying that position, but also just as, from a tournament perspective, to get mm. those two heavyweights going at it at the start is is brilliant. Slightly less. The only kind of downside is that you're looking at the pool now, and it's just. Like, you're looking at it the Namibia and Canada and kind of thinking, what more is going to happen in that pool? Is there... Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a slight... I suppose... Like, just going to be a criticism of the tournament f- until it becomes more competitive. But South Africa, New Zealand, did you enjoy it? I, yeah, yeah. No, it was a, it was a really good game. I don't, I don't think, like, overall, it lived up to everyone's expectations.
1: Like, it thought it was going to be an absolute classic. It was a really good game. Um, I thought, like, that first 15 minutes, South Africa... It, it, they were so, it was like a barrage that they hit New Zealand with. And it felt like for a few, for a while, like, God, New Zealand, they're like hanging on here and everywhere apart from the scoreboard. Like, yeah, uh, when they got those, they were so clinical when they got those chances. They made it look easy. Like for, the, for that first try, that, uh, the George Bush try, the, the gap that Bowden Barrett burst through is absolutely massive. Oh, yeah. And he's doing it some, from so far back as well. He's quick. But he's not like super, he's not, he's not like, you know, he, he's not like super, super. He's not like uh, Seville Reese kind of quick there, like bursting through that gap. He's like, there's a gap there. Why is no one closing this? Like, it, they, they made it look so easy. Um, but it was a really good game. I was actually, I watched the first 60 minutes and I had, with a, I had a lunch, my girlfriend's birthday, pre-booked with her. Okay, her, yeah. With her and her mother. And so we went down for brunch and I thought, I, right, sure, I'll pause it here. I'll turn the phone on to silent. And, I'll back an hour and a half and I'll, I'll watch the last 20 minutes. Of and the you're game. going to
0: avoid the score? I'm going
1: to avoid the score. Okay. Yeah, 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 you know. Always like a, a dangerous a, game. Andre Pollard had just scored, so it was 17-13. <laughs> it's still like, this is a real, this is a game here. Like uh, So down for brunch and I managed to avoid it until I made, made, made the mistake of having dessert. Dessert is what kind of uh, did it for me here. Uh, I'm having in what the, way? the last The last spoon of my lemon tart and these two women in their 60s. <laughs> And like, you're not, I mean, like, there's no danger here. Like, yeah, it's two women in their 60s. Sit down next to us. And what if you want to do? She starts reading out the books.
0: <laughs> these, these are like... Rugby
1: country. This yeah,
0: is, th- that was your fatal error. You, you didn't realize where you were. <laughs> I was, well, I should have. I was in Malkstown. Like you
1: know, It was like... Uh, like probably like a rookie mistake. I haven't been I haven't been there that long. You know, I'm still a fi- I am from Kerry. I'm like a fish out of water. there. I didn't realize what I was what I was in like yeah where I was. I thought um, I'm
0: sorry for your plight. Uh I thought the like the for me it actually followed the trends that we all. Like going into this one, the as I've mentioned last week in, um, on the podcast, the one expectation we all had was that there's going to be these ferocious defensive lines, 13, 14 men blitzing up. In, uh, South Africa are a classic example in that they have their wingers like floating way up by. Like it looks nearly kamikaze at times, but defensively they're like, and Jack nineberg there's an enormous amount of credit for that. But you can't blitz all game. Like Ireland, I think, timed it pr- pretty well to perfection. And I think you push, like all Ireland were trying to do was push Uh, scotland's 12 and 13 under enough pressure that their skills you know their skills execution would 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 drop and they kind of knew that would happen and i thought new zealand kind of weathered the storm pretty well and then as soon as that you saw like a slight lull like the the, you mentioned george bridges try there, that was all instigated by a brilliant crossfield kick and the reason he he
1: actually i think monga was setting up for like a higher for a longer kick and he just saw it was like, he, like what what do we call heads up rugby here? I guess it was kind of like he saw that opening there, and it, it was it was like a like a brilliant moment, like yeah.
0: And and not to put too much stock into what we talked about, but what we actually predicted happened, but that's the attacking kicking. That is exactly what we were trying to get at on the on the show last week. Uh, we spoke to Gordon Percy about this at our, at our live event as well. Like that, this is the, precisely what you're trying to do in those scenarios. Is that you're like you attack where when you've got players coming up so quickly there's obviously space elsewhere you attack that space and that's why I like I just think that the balance that South Africa or that New Zealand have with somebody like Barrett at 15 um, and Moang at 10 and then you got Ryan Crotty at 12 as well who's a pretty great kicker I think England will try to replicate that in like if it's with Ford Farrell and Daly or if it's Slade coming in there as well like they're all really, really adept kickers and that's why I, I, I know I've brought this up before and I, I just do think there is something really to be said for the potential that you try and get Johnny Sexton and Joy Carverly into the same team even if that's for 10 minutes off the bench mm. which moves us along nicely to what else we'll see this weekend um, like the, the final thing I'll say about this tournament's like so we'll talk about the officiating briefly in a second but just I think that because people have been so starved of rugby that there's been kind of either too much read into a performance like Wales and similarly England. So mm. Wales are being massively hyped and they look like they're contenders contend- all of a sudden. I think they were anyway. Uh, England's w- supposedly were poor against uh, Tonga. I don't know.
1: Like They, they only got the bonus point, try what, three minutes from the end? Yeah. But, but and I, like, I do think it's interesting that there's possibly some, like distraction tactics from from Eddie Jones already in that like he's after, after like after the game he's talking about that uh, the try at the end but got him the bonus point and he just brings up it on our oh Alex actually uh, Alex Ferguson was in there with us. Uh, in a training camp and like you know it was a good score uh try and fergie time and you're like what's the story become about it becomes about alex ferguson being in camp with them and then he's like they're talking like talking about the usa game and he calls usa says it's going to be like playing against 15 what <laughs> yeah, are yeah. the headlines about they're about eddie they're about eddie jones and they're about alex ferguson rather than how england playing badly i, I think it's interesting that he is he looks to be using those tactics to already distract from a possibly poor performance. Maybe he's worried.
0: Yeah, maybe he is. My like, I just find I, I find it really hard to read into. I think because there hasn't been enough serious rugby. It's like it's not a big sample, big enough sample of size. Like ultimately, both of those teams got the the job done. I the, the most encouraging thing from our, my own perspective is this the performance of some of the minnows. Like. Eh, we'll talk about officiating now Fiji I thought were brilliant against Australia I would have loved to have seen how that game would have yeah. gone against uh 14 men we just were watching uh my second favorite team of the tournament now is Russia who Russia were well, like going into this to talk that they're going to be on th- fears about st- triple digit hammerings going back yeah. to 2007 and in, in Portugal and really fronted up against like they're uh, an honest in a way kind of a like playing rugby that reminds me of, kind of like watching like and. 11-12 rugby that's a lot of what they do is kind of is reminds you of that and like you know you're talking about like very very standard like one, three, three, one um, pods on the ball is a solid enough set piece that kind of stuff that thing but at the same time they were competitive against Japan and yeah. were really competitive against Samoa we just, we just watched that game before we, we came into the studio Samoa should have had two red cards possibly yeah. And you, you you never know how it, with the complexion yep. that would have changed the game, which leads us on to officiating. Right, actually, the, the one guy I want to talk about in the for Russia, the tight,
1: the uh, number seven. I thought he was at, in brilliant against Japan. He was probably He was like the standout player on the pitch. A lad who was playing M, who was uh, an MMA fighter like four years ago with <laughs> uh Tagir Gadzhyev. Yes, who was G- playing with uh, at the NSA STM, who Connock may have played a few years ago. I oh, okay, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, good pronunciation there. Yeah. Thank you very much. So coming into before the Russia Samoa game, World Rugby came out with a statement on the standard of officiating so far. This is what they had to say. This is quite punchy. Uh, the match official teams recognise that performances over the open weekend of Rugby World Cup 2019 were not consistently of the standard set by World Rugby and themselves. Um, I think this has been already done to death Rug rug referees have a really really hard job and I don't know if you can say any much too much more original about it Um, like the Reese Hogg one for me was a definite red card um, again that has been said I don't know he has been cited we'll know how that goes on Wednesday the only like just secondary to all of that I really really hope that the it was interesting to hear Argentina talking about that they found it hard to be, they thought they were refereed like a weaker nation. That's the, their head coach came on and said that after the game. Um, I, That perception is out there that Tier 2 ref, uh, nations are refereed differently than Tier 1 nations. I really hope that there's no more, I, like, to a certain extent I actually do see where they're coming from and I just... That's the, my only concern about officiating. Whatever about inconsistency across games and consistency across teams can't be be an issue. And I ju- just from a tone perspective, whatever about the standard of officiating, I think referees have such a hard job. And I actually think the if there's anybody who deserves criticism, even by the way on that uh, Samoa incident earlier, it's TMOs more so than referees. Like TMOs are even more so culpable. Like that Reese Hogg incident, Black referred to a TMO as well. And they're there. The referees need more help. We've always said that we've seen linesmen uh, upgraded to assistant referees and for them not to get that kind of assistance would be a way bigger issue than anything else, I think. Right. Japan, next up. Um, do you, would you be in favour of making wholesale changes for this game?
1: Ye- some. I wouldn't say wholesale changes. I, I agree, we yeah. Make, we make some changes. I mean, like, if there's a doubt about Sexton, I think you play Carberry. Like He's supposed to be fully fit. I think you you play Carberry, have like Carty on the bench. We're going to beat Japan without Johnny Sexton. You should be able to beat him. And then you've got, what, two more games after that to build up to a quarter final. I think that's more than enough to get like Sexton ready. If there's a doubt about him, I don't see why you play him in this game. Uh, In the, like where where if, if you were going to make other changes where would you make them
0: so on that second point um i like we're speaking on tuesday morning there's been a lot of suggestions that he won't be in the 23 i think that's that makes perfect sense i'd play him against russia and then rest him for the Samoa game that way then you're talking about a guy who would have over two hours of rugby coming into a quarter final
1: definitely rest him against Samoa. given the evidence well.
0: of oh, what we saw today <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I think that makes perfect sense if, if the, he's got an injury that can be aggravated by place kicking i don't know why you would play him in a game for six days later and risk aggravating it yeah. anyway there um so I, yeah i totally get that the other one i think the fact that Roy best played 80 minutes is a pretty enough indicator to me that he'll probably won't start this weekend um and the fact that nice cannon came on so late it, to me suggests that he will even um, wayne barnes was surprised
1: that uh Roy that Roy was, best still was still there, there. Yeah. He said, why are you still there
0: <laughs> <laughs> outside of that um So we know that Peter Matney and Bondiaki have recovered from their HIA 2s and now would theoretically be allowed to play against Japan. Um, I still don't think you play them if Not. there's a issue but, there
1: but play Rhys or play uh, standard 6 and Kona 8 one of those I exactly
0: I, yeah I think uh, the fact that Conan got so many minutes I, you bring in Ruddock play him in, in the, a game like this simultaneously Chris Farrell uh, looks totally at home in the centre mm. there alongside Ringo's I think you uh, persevere with that partnership the only other one I do think that There is scope to changes. The two other changes, as you said, I don't know if you make wholesale changes. I think that Keith Earls is a guy who could use minutes if he is fit. As you mentioned, himself and Carby took part in the warm-up for that game as well. If that is true, I think you could bring him back in for somebody like Conway. And then, again, that's more so just about minutes, which is important on that same team i think that somebody you can make a change you could i could foresee maybe a change in the second row as well if that means that john klein comes in with mm-hmm. james ryan or something a variation of that the only time that the, the only issue that is because peter matney isn't fit if you bring in Klein, you've limited yourself really to two jumpers at, at all because you've got uh, Klein and then a back row with Stander in it. Um, who, I mean, Josh Van Der Flier, who's not going to jump Stander who can jump, but maybe not as well as somebody like Peter Mandy and Rise Rulok, who wouldn't be the same standard. So even that scenario, I think that maybe it would have been scoped to make a change in the second row. But in that scenario, I think there is a question mark over that. But other than that, I think you persevere with, with the same team, get over the host nation, who are obviously going to be very up for this, and then as, after that, you can play. You can start to, I think, whatever you do, the Russia game is your final kind of blow for kind of your key core yeah. personnel. And the Samoa game is just, the, given what we saw today, I think... Pre, pre
1: uh, you avoid injury, basically. I yeah, think, yeah, I
0: think that's it. You know, you you in play as many third-string guys there as you can and just hope that you avoid injury against them.
1: Yeah, just on, on Farrell, I mean... How if he plays well this weekend? Do you think he plays himself into? Presuming he does start at, at, at say twelve, do you think he plays himself into the pitcher to like start like a quarterfinal or or a bigger game?
0: Like um, to, to my mind, this it's a really interesting point to bring up there. Um, and we'll talk about this before we speak to Conan. The to my mind, no, and simultaneously, I also don't think that Andrew Conway is um really pushing. Keith Earls, uh, a fully fit Keith Daryl's. Like, I don't think, I don't know how much you can read into a Scotland game given how poor they were. Um, I think there's slight, really slight, really, really minor things. If I was going to be hypercritical, there's minor things that you could cite for um, guys. Like, I, I think that Conway, uh, when it was dry in the first half, not taking that catch, something that he's normally pretty well at, was, was pretty apt. The, line out on the left that Scotland attacked off that eventually Sexton had to come across and chase that looked exactly like what England did in the warm-up game against Ireland and again I think your, your, your winger is leaving way too much to your fullback to do in that scenario I just think that what? Like, Conway needs to bank on his thing I also think that the final thing is that um, this is like totally hypercritical overkill, mm-hmm. but when he kicked on and he was chasing down a short hog don't concede a penalty there just yeah. don't why are you pushing him in the back Like do, yeah, even yeah, if you yeah, yeah. let him take 20 but don't do not concede a penalty in a scenario like that I might, like, for a guy who values discipline as highly as he does I'd say that would have infuriated Josh Schmidt in different Orange, circumstances yeah, like Schmidt can there he's thrown his arms <laughs> in <the> UK, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that's really sm- s- small things Um, on Chris Farrell like Farrell is his handling ability is way better than perceived I think and he demonstrated that the offload around the back after yes, it, was Karachi, oh, it, was yeah. it was absolutely stunning um, but it, as I said I just think that he wouldn't I just think that the credit in the bank that Bundiaki or Robbie Hancho have established isn't going to be eradicated by a performance against a totally under par Scotland or even against, um, mate, like, look we'll see after the Japan game, that's the beauty of, of tournament rugby that you've mm-hmm. got more than one opportunity to, to prove your way. We're going to talk to Conan next, a guy who was brave enough to take an opportunity to go abroad, something that I think is we're going to see a lot more of PJ as time goes on because like effectively You've only got four provinces. You've got rising standards of professionalism in this country, like a rising tide lifts lift all boats. So there's going to be more and more players who are well able to play professional rugby, but maybe just not the space from within Ireland. And then it's only natural that they start to look further afield. And like we've seen maybe over the last 10 years that might have been England or France. But I mean, I think it only makes sense that that would extend to these new rugby nations like Japan or uh, minor 10 cup nations. Yeah, people are going to see the opportunities. They're going to, like, we've create
1: like a lot of people with and probably ambitions of being professional rugby players and just because you're not playing here like doesn't mean you can't make you can't make a career out of it and i think people will will see those opportunities and look to take advantage all right we'll hear from conan
0: next all right it's time to look ahead to ireland versus japan and it is hard to imagine a man better suited to do so than conan o'donnell uh, one of the few who's played in both systems conan how's the form
2: Good, how are you people?
0: All good, yeah, all good. Um, For those that don't know, how did a a fleet-footed prop from Sligo end up playing in Japan?
2: Yeah, so it was a bit of a mad situation for me. So it was probably the most bizarre month of my life. So uh, I was actually just dropped from Connacht. I was told I'd been released. And then I was trying to get my agent to look for teams in Mitre 10. So he was trying to get in contact with Otago, and then the old Otago coach happened to be Corey Brown, who's in the academy, he's my academy coach in Connacht, and then, what um, happened then? Yeah, he, he, so they asked him what I was like, and then he messaged me on Facebook, being like, oh, I here you're looking to go overseas, and I told him, yeah, so I'm looking to go elsewhere now at the end of the year, and he goes, oh, well, we're actually looking for a prop, and I was like, oh, unbelievable, and then that actually fell through, So then a few weeks later, I was training away with Connacht, and then one Thursday morning, about 7 a.m., I just, looked at my phone to see how many hours of sleep I'd left, and then jumped out of bed to a message from him, like, basically offering me the contract to come over for six week as a medical joker. Okay, yeah. So I was, in, yeah, pretty awesome.
0: Come here, the, like, we, we might talk about leaving Connaught in a second, but the idea of going overseas, why was that particularly appealing to you? Well,
2: um, I'm not actually English qualified, so I found it pretty tough to... Um, I found it pretty tough to get um, clubs in England and stuff, and then I suppose Mitre 10 was probably the only option I had at the time, so I'm actually overplaying Mitre 10 at the moment, but then the Wolves opportunity came up, so playing Super Rugby was a very cool opportunity as well on top of that, so it was pretty been pretty cool to travel on top of rugby, there's a lot of opportunities out there, so I've actually only come to realise after I was let go, so...
0: Yeah, it's funny because we talk to a lot of um, Irish players who end up leaving the provincial system for one reason or the other and, and go abroad. Um, the likes of like Shane O'Leary or even you know Paddy Butler. And the one thing they always stress is that whatever about the disappointment of leaving. I know for you, Connacht was your home province. There's a huge advantage in the fact that you can, you're actually playing rugby. That the you know in terms of your own, I suppose, quality of life and personal satisfaction, you get a huge amount of out of actually f- playing professional rugby. And the uh, fact that you can do so overseas is, is really encouraging.
2: Yeah, so the uh, biggest thing for me is actually getting game time, so I think it's really been good for my confidence is the main thing, because I'm actually like getting a lot more game time, playing 80 minutes some weeks, and then whereas the comment if I was looking to get in the squad at all, it would be about 20 minutes, just so that's because way down the pecking order, because there's so much in-depth and talent in the squad, and then same with Ireland, because there's only four teams, so it's kind of hard to break through, and if you do, just usually the exceptional lads break through at an early age, so I don't know. I suppose I'm just happy to be getting the chance to be playing rugby professionally as well abroad. It's been cool. And then meeting new people and then playing a new competition and just broadening my horizons. It's been really enjoyable so far. So.
0: Yeah. We spoke to um we spoke to Scott Farley last week, who was telling us about the huge shock he got when he came to the to the Northern Hemisphere and saw how aggressive opposition teams were around lineouts. That just as a cultural shock, it was a style of rugby he hadn't encountered before. I was wondering for for you, uh, you're obviously going in in the opposite direction. Did you find any differences within the actual rugby that you mightn't have anticipated? I find it's a
2: lot looser down in the Southern Hemisphere. Like, kind of, it's a lot faster game, so mistakes are kind of less frowned upon so they kind of just encourage you to play and play where in the nor- uh, Northern Hemisphere it's all about kind of detail and nailing your role and there's a lot more emphasis on the set piece and then yes, you actually train defence a lot more and then suppose if you make a mistake you'd know about it on Monday morning where kind of here it kind of, it's a bit more relaxed I don't know if it's a good thing maybe I think an in-between kind of method or culture would probably be the ideal situation for any player less pressure and then obviously that kind of competitiveness present then as well but so. I don't know does,
0: does side they side of? been r- in their own ways yeah of course yeah does that side of rugby suit you more like I know you would have always been pretty impactful in the loose especially like the fact that um you're kind of encouraged to do so must be, must be great for your own style
2: uh, I enjoy it a lot more um, <laughs> I feel like I'm just getting a lot more involved in the games and just that kind of license to just license to do what you want is kind of it's fun like it's really enjoyable and then I've I've been throwing a few offloads here and sometimes they come off, sometimes they don't, but it's usually the right decision anyways. But I'd probably be a bit more afraid to do that when I was back in Ireland and stuff, so but I think it suits me a bit more as a player, yeah. It is my style of play a lot more.
0: One thing that we've heard a lot about um, for people watching the World Cup right now is about the conditions in Japan and about how much of a huge transition it has been. And you're probably the best suited person to, to actually articulate that because you've obviously played in Ireland, but now you've, you've experienced it in Japan. Can you sum up just how challenging it is?
2: Yeah, so I've actually seen the all-black trend with buckets of water for the nine pass of the ball and I can kind of relate to that because when I was over there, the the weather was really hot. It was like it was like 20 degrees over there, and I was young, pissed the Irish was scalded. <laughs> so I was the only one, only one putting factor 50 on the changing room. But um, I think the lads are staying around August and stuff when the top league is generally on. It they're playing like 40 degrees heat, and there's no water breaks and stuff. So I imagine that's what the the lads are going through at the moment over in the World Cup, and it's a lot, it's a lot more extreme than I was um, experiencing.
0: What about away from rugby then? I mean, whatever about um, differences in rugby culture, the cultural difference must have been massive.
2: Yeah, so I did my best to do a bit of exploring. So a lot of the lads were there for the year, so they had done all their exploring. So I just jotted off my own one for a few ganders and stumbled upon some crazy things There's mad vending machines. And then there's streets just dedicated to arcades and gaming. So there's like big Sega stores and there's about five, six stories of people playing. Mario Kart and all these other kind of games on the on the arcades Ichihara Haraba was the name of the street Okay. and then when the, the first day I left the hotel I just walked maybe about 10-15 minutes away from the place and I seen these lads dressed up in Mario costumes and other like random kind of onesies and they were just driving around in go-karts on the middle of the street so like you probably wouldn't get that in Ireland uh, it was a bit different but I really enjoyed it and the food was unbelievable I'm actually eating a lot of Japanese cuisine while I'm
0: over in New Zealand now at the moment. So that must have been a major plus in terms of moving as well. Like I know um, you've spoken in the past about how you had to be uh, a bit more limited in college and kind of you know a bit more controlled. And obviously rugby, like it was pretty earmarked from from early on that you were going to try and progress through, through Connacht. The fact that you can kind of travel and experience that stuff as well as progressing your own career must be must be pretty great, right, really.
2: Yeah, I'm really enjoying I suppose, experiencing cultures like Japan. I didn't think this time last year I'd be over playing for the Sunwolves or even playing Super Rugby. I thought I'd probably be in Galway doing the exact same thing I was doing this time last year. So it's good to broaden my horizons and just get on with it and travel the world. I don't know what I'm doing next, but hopefully it's somewhere, somewhere extravagant like I've been doing at the moment. So I'm just really enjoying just seeing where rugby takes me. And hopefully, I can just
0: explore the world a lot more with that. Can I ask you a small bit about the the Sunwolves? Like a lot of people looking from the outside in, would have seen um, Tony Brown go in there, and that a huge amount of this Japanese core are, are, are involved there. W- would the benefit of that coaching, or even just to be around, kind of those test rugby players, have, have stood to you?
2: Yeah, so I was playing with some top quality players who would have played with the Highlanders when they won Super Rugby. A lot of lads who played for Japan. There's one lad their 2nd row Luke Thompson. He's, this is his fourth World Cup. He actually played um, rugby for Black Rock for a year. He was in the boarding house. Um, he was a great guy, great player. So playing with him and then a lot of lads who've played Super Rugby and then come over to Sunwolves, maybe they're just assigned for a top league team. Just playing with some top-quality players and just be able to mix with them and see different styles of players has been really interesting I've really, really enjoyed it so far, so...
0: On that idea of style as well, I mean, I'm wondering, does their training, you know, replicate that what you see in games? Like people would have seen Japan play Russia already, and they're they're quite a, a creative and expansive team. And you even hear that they kind of demand really high in ball in play times and things like that. Like they really back their own fitness. I'm wondering, is that? I mean, I I guess it has to be replicated in training as well.
2: Yeah, I was a bit of a shock to the system. The intensity of the session when I first came over. Um I just couldn't wait to get back to the hotel and sleep for the day after. the first day. <laughs> But um, they actually had two teams. So they had the Sunwolves and then a lot of the lads who wasn't playing international rugby with the Japanese team. I wouldn't have actually played with a lot of them because they were playing with the Wolfpack, which was just like kind of a... basically their national team, they were playing kind of development super teams the same weekend we were playing. So I remember we played Brumbies, they played like the Brumbies development squad, the equivalent of the Eagles and stuff. But like, I think that was kind of just a way of fusing their strike players and faxing, faxing what they thought could have worked against teams like Ireland and Russia, who they're playing in the World Cup. It'll so, um, be interesting to see how it plays off for them. I, I certainly have a soft spot for them now in the World Cup this year after my experience is over there, so I hope they go really well.
0: That's great. Um, finally I suppose we'll just come back to yourself and, and, and looking ahead like I think it's it's interesting that there's very you're kind of one of the the first few players to actually explore these you know seas that maybe players wouldn't have necessarily gone into. and I think that's probably down to the fact that there wasn't a, an, an established pathway but like the, but how judging by how well your experience has gone I assume that's a, something when you see like all, you've only, as you mentioned you've only got four provinces you've got rising levels of professionalism in this country and naturally there's going to be more and more players and less places to put them that that kind of pathway would hopefully develop and you would encourage other Irish players to maybe pursue similar
2: yeah well just playing the minor 10 this year I think it's it's a massive step up from like kind of eagles and stuff and AIL I think it'd be really good for some players kind of coming through the academy who maybe aren't trained with their senior team around getting a lot of game time maybe to come over for the 10 week season and play with them either 10 teams because I think it's really developed me so far and I've learned a lot and like just even the game time just makes you a better player because it's tough when you're training all the time just to actually develop because you're not playing matches and then just the higher quality is, and like speed and intensity and you're obviously playing against lads who played for the all Blacks and playing with lads who played for the all Blacks and lads are playing super in week in week out so I think it's just a really good standard and Probably, yeah, that's the one thing I'd recommend. Maybe try and get over to MITRE 10 if maybe you're in one year, one of academy or sub academy. And if you're not in uni, because I suppose university is important when you're over there to be studying, but if that's not what you're into, maybe, maybe MITRE 10 could be for you.
0: And the the point about game time, I think, as well, is is pretty important. Like, what you're talking about there, I guess, is the the confidence that you mentioned throwing offloads. Like, you only really develop confidence to do that when you do it in games. Like, you can replicate it in training as much as you want, but it's not necessarily the same. Yeah. Well, I suppose you
2: have to get confidence in training to do it in a game, or else you're not going
0: to do it at all. Um,
2: but, yeah, I suppose when it works off the game, you're like, I didn't think I can do that. <laughs> whipping the the bag when the the opportunities come and you kinda begin to learn when lads are gonna throw off loads and when you're gonna throw them yourself. So I remember um Keen Romaine came back to Buccaneers when he played New Zealand for the season. He was he was throwing off loads everywhere left, right and centre lads also <laughs> And he was like, Oh well people in New Zealand catch them so
0: <laughs>
2: we still slag him about it to this day. Uh, he probably won't be happy if he saying this, this about him
0: <laughs> So what's um what's next? have have you thought about what you're going to do next or coming down the line I
2: honestly don't have the scoobies what I'm doing after this um, I don't know my visa's up in November so I'll see see what happens after that I'll try and get something
0: and I suppose just to finish you, you are willing to, to continue to explore these kind of unproven areas I suppose like that's something that you're you're open to doing
2: yeah I'll take whatever comes in my stride I've been doing this for the last six months so um I'm kinda having of a happy dude at the moment, so if it keeps coming my way,
0: I'll keep 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 going down that road. That's a that's a pretty good attitude. Conan thanks so many for talking to us today.
2: No worries. good to catch up with
0: you. Right, that's it for this week. Make sure to keep an eye out for Brent Pope and Stephen Ferris in your feed ahead of the game on Saturday. We'll be back with you after that on next Tuesday to review all of the week's action really. But in the meantime, enjoy the rugby, take it easy.